Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the 29th edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to interview and speak with wonderful individuals who have accomplished so much on the field and off the field. And this particular episode is no different. And this gentleman, one of the most uh, prolific people in sports, and he was one of the most celebrated players to come out of the historic University of Notre Dame football program, Super Bowl champion for the Washington football team in the 1982 season, Super Bowl 17, and he was also a 1983 NFL Most Valuable Player, all-time leading passer for the Washington football team in their history. He's part of their ring of honor. He went on to do wonderful things in the broadcasting booth with ESPN, with the NFL Network, and he's currently an analyst for the Washington football team preseason games. So he's just done great things, but also as well, he's really inspired masses of people by being a impactful motivational speaker speaking with individuals and businesses and he released a book this past june called how to be a champion every day six timeless keys to success and we're going to talk about this book and and how it relates to everyone in all walks of life it is my pleasure to introduce the one and only mr joe theisman on <laughs> where they thank at. You <laughs> thank you very much. Yes, how your that. grandmother used Please. to say it, the German way. That's, that's <laughs> right. That's right. That's the one she used to throw me all the time. You know, I had, to, I had to get grandma's permission to be able to change the pronunciation of the last name. So I had to make sure it was okay with her. That's right. The matriarch. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, by the way, the book you were referring to is right there. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah, yes, indeed. How the, uh, Labor of love mm-hmm. for five years. I'm sure all of us, uh, you know, you, everybody, I'm, as a musician, I'm not sure if it's the same way, but um, probably the last chapter was the hardest to write. In the beginning, you get excited and you roll through. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a little bit maybe like this in music. Yes. You get everything going and then you get towards the end and it's like, how do you end this thing? I mean, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you wrap it all up and tie it in a bow and, and have it ready to go? And so it, it really took me much longer to write the last chapter than it did the first, uh, the first five. Wow, absolutely. And that last chapter was about, that was the sixth timeless key of success, which is motivation. And what made that chapter uh, tough? It was just, it was just trying to um, finish the project. And, and one of the things I talk about is focus. I think a lot of us out there get distracted. You get started on a project. One of the stories I tell, for example, is I have a ranch here in Virginia. And one day I'm out mowing the grass on my tractor and I looked at the fence and one of the fence posts was leaning. So about half the grass done, went over, started digging a hole for the fence post to put a new one in. Uh And then I looked down the fence line and I noticed there were bushes over the fence. So I stopped digging the hole. I went over and cut the bushes and it got dark. I basically got half the grass cut, a hole dug in the ground and part of the bushes cut. And starting the next day, I had to finish the project projects that I started the day before. And you're sort of like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. So that's basically what I wound up doing. And, and as far as the book goes, I got to a point and I wrote something and I said, ah, maybe that's not right. And then I just, finally, I got what I wanted. Uh, had a great, great uh, person to help me. Jennifer Lil Brown uh, mm-hmm. wrote the book with me and she did a fabulous job of taking my words and putting them into the book. And 
probably the greatest compliment that I've got from people that have read the book and, and know me say, the book sounds just like you. Yes. And it's the yes, way, it way I talk, it's the way I, uh, you know, put emphasis on words. And, and that to me is extremely flattering. When you write something and they say it sounds like you, um, I'm very pleased about that. That's right. And that's what makes a great musician, like a musician that's able to sound like himself or herself through their instrument, for sure. Yeah. And, 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 and it's funny how you said that about, you know, it's tough for, I think, for an arrangement to be able to finish an arrangement of a piece. That's the toughest part of when, which instrument should come in. You don't want to have all the instruments play all the time, you know, like you right. have to find like spaces and gaps for sure. Wow. So, well, here with um, former NFL Most Valuable Player and and also one of the great quarterbacks in his day, Mr. Joe Feisman, great motivational speaker as well. He's here on the 29th episode of Where They At. So Joe, in the book, uh, in chapter two, which talks about attitude, uh, you quoted the great Marty Schoenheimer, not just an outstanding football coach, but a class act as well, wonderful person. He mentioned, he said to his players all the time, I want you to think about winning. I want you to talk about winning. And I want you to expect to win. You know, just that power of visualization that he provided for his players. Please elaborate more on that and the attitude that all of us need to have to be able to succeed at the highest level. What you're referring to is uh, the way Marty used to start his meetings. He would tell people to think about being, think about winning, talk about winning and expect Mm -hmm. to win. That's right. And I, I think all of us now where we are in this period of time in our lives, we have to think about being successful. We need to talk about being successful mm-hmm. and we have to expect to be successful. I think, you know, you can, you can look at things two ways. You can look at the negative side of life and say, oh gosh, look what's going on. How am I going to deal with it? What am I going to do? What do I have to look forward to today? Or you can look at this situation that we're in and I say, call it an opportunity. Um, it's yeah. not a change as much as it is an opportunity for us to be able to go out and spend time with our families. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been forced to do things now that we never would have done on our own. Yes. Spend more time at home, spend more time with our family, working on projects that maybe we just sort of put on the back burner. Now all of a sudden they're up front facing us and it's time to deal with them or situations and circumstances that you continue to avoid. Now is the time to take care of it. We will come out of this. You just want to have spent the time preparing for that next phase of our lives. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things to do. You know, it's really funny in football, we have a bye week Mm -hmm. through 16 games. You get a week off. And during that week, coaches don't study other opponents. They study themselves. Mm -hmm. So I I call this pandemic, this basic six month pandemic, uh, five month pandemic. I call it a bye week in our lives. It's a chance for us to take a step back and examine everything about our life, mm-hmm. our relationships, our, our personal relationships, our private relationships, our relationships with the good Lord, whatever it might be, uh, you get a chance to take a look at your life. And sometimes it's scary. I mean, when you sit down and examine yourself, it's scary. When I got hurt, um, I did. I had to be, I was introspective and I looked at my life and I thought, who was this Joe Theismann football player guy? Um, he was a guy whose ego had gotten out of control. Mm-hmm. He had thought that he was the cat's meow. He had thought that he was the guy that everything revolved around. And then all of a sudden it ended just like that in an instant. 
Right. And now all of a sudden you're, it's like everything you thought was important doesn't exist anymore. So you mm. have to sort of rediscover yourself. And I think for a lot of us through this time, it's a time to reflect and rediscover who we are That's and everything right. in our lives. Right. Right. And with COVID-19, with the pandemic, you're referencing and everything. Yes, it's been a reflective time for me. Uh, talk about how, how, you're, how are you doing, how are your family doing, and how it's been reflective for you on how you can keep going and keep growing, because you're always motivated to keep getting better. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, the family's doing well. Everybody's okay. No one has been diagnosed with the, uh, with the uh, COVID virus. So that's good. And good. I'm trying to do everything that we're asked to do. I wear a mask when I'm out in public. Whenever mm-hmm. I go any place in public, I wear a mask. I wash my hands when I get home. And I social distance. Mm-hmm. I, it, you know, it doesn't take much to do those things. Yes. But yet you see so many people are defiant and saying, I'm not going to wear a mask. Why not? Yeah. It, it just, it, it's, it's not just for you. How about thinking about other people? That's, that's the thing. It, life's about relationships. Life's about people-people relationships. And I think it's important that we take a step back and say, how much of an inconvenience is it to wash my hands or use sanitizer? How much of an inconvenience is it when you're standing in a grocery store line to be six feet away from somebody? As soon as you get out of the grocery store, wherever it might be, whatever the name of it might be, wherever you are, you take the mask off. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I sometimes, I, I guess we get so prone to wearing masks. Sometimes when you drive down the road, you see a person in a car by themselves with their mask on. And, and I, I sometimes scratch my head and I go, I wonder what they're thinking. I mean, there's nobody around them. Is it just more convenient or have we gotten so used to it? You just leave it on. Yeah. I don't know exactly what it is. Right. But uh, everybody, everybody seems to be doing very well in our family. So I'm, you know, I pray for everybody's family out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. And, and I want to just go down the list of your six timeless keys of success so people can really see um, uh, how you break down those keys. And also the analogies are just outstanding football and life analogies, but opportunity, number one, number two, attitude, number three, goals, number four, customer service. Very important. Number five, teamwork, <laughs> extremely important. And number six, motivation. So those are the six keys. And, uh, and now growing up in South River, New Jersey, you know, you grew up there and, and you had parents that really were encouraging Joseph and Olga, who gave you a lot of those momisms that you talked about in your book. Um, now, talk about how your parents were able to instill those six keys in you and it, and it helped you be able to accentuate your excellence on the well, football field and in life. It really, um, I was very blessed to both have my mother and father for a long time. Um, Mom passed at 92, dad passed at 90. Wow. And it doesn't seem like it's been 10 and 11 years since that's happened. But uh, whether it's, whether it's you're a, you have a single parent, whether you're raised by an aunt, whether you're raised by a grandmother, whether you're, no matter how you're raised, I think there comes a point where you have to make decisions on what you want to be in your life and the mm. direction that you want to go in your life. I mean, my dad worked 13 hours a day, six days a week. You know, he was gone at nine o'clock in the morning, didn't come home till 10 o'clock at night. We -hmm. saw him for one hour from five to six for dinner uh, every night. My mom worked at Boy Scouts of America for over 20 years. Really, the one that I was around the most was my grandmother. Um, 
she was the one that disciplined me. She was the one, and she was Hungarian. And when she used to get mad at me, she'd go, oh, Zapad, Manikid, Fiu, Oyo, Yishtanem, which is Hungarian for, oh my gosh, son, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> That's right, because you said you were rambunctious when you were I a know kid. That. <laughs> I know that because I heard it so many times. Um, but it's, you know, it's, um, I lived two blocks from my high school. So if I was anywhere, if my parents needed to find me, they had, there was a baseball diamond, there was a football field, there were tennis courts, there was, used to play stickball off the, off the mm -hmm. school wall. I mean, we did everything. I, I used to throw a rubber ball against the curve and, and we used to play ball that way. I, I think, you know, with the innovations today that we see in technology, mm -hmm. more and more young people have the opportunity to do things online and really less physical things. And I think everybody ought to take, uh, you know, half hour, 45 minutes a day to do something physical. Mm -hmm. Not only is it good for your body, but it's great for your mind. I mean, how many times have you gone on a walk and thought, I didn't think of that. I mean, you get, you get out into space where yes. your mind has a chance to, to think a little bit. And you, you know, being a musician and a creative individual, it's the same thing. You just don't sit there and stare at the notes and say, okay, this one's going to do this. This one's going to do that. Um, it, you all of a sudden it comes to you, you know, whether it's the shower in the shower, whether it's out walking, whether it's in a gym, no matter where it is, it just sort of comes to you. And, um, like I said, I, my mom and dad were very supportive, uh, all the time. I mean, they, they were there. Uh, you know, I tell a story about my dad. We, um, when we, I come, we'd come home from church and my job was to pour the tomato juice. It was the, it was the only big meal we had. I mean, we had leftovers six days a week, but on Sunday for lunch, mom would either make a steak maybe once, twice a month wow. and then some, uh, ro some uh, broiled chicken. And that was, that was our big meal. And my dad used to come in and after church, sit down in his big easy chair and be sound asleep. And wow. then all of a sudden um, I'd wake him up and say, Hey dad, let's go play let's go throw the ball around. And, and he always got up out of that chair. Even mm -hmm. though, even though five minutes later, my buddies would go driving by on their bikes, we'd head up to the school and I'd throw my dad the ball and mitt and I'd say, Pop, I'll see you later. And I did it time and time again. Never once did he sit there and say to me, Joey, you know, I know you're going to be gone with your buddies in a little bit. Let me just stay a little bit longer. He never said no. And, and whether it's, and, wow. and whether it's a yeah. mentor whether it's somebody influential in people's lives, um, you have to be there to try and help them get through very difficult situations, if nothing else, to listen. I think sometimes, you know, it, it's, it's just a question of sitting there and listening to somebody tell you something, and it helps them reflect, it helps them understand, it helps them actually work out a situation, in most instances, on their own. And with, yes. a, with maybe a suggestion of, of, did you think about this? Did you think about that? I would never want to tell anyone to do something. It's like the, the book is not a book about how to be successful. Mm -hmm. I fashion myself more like Joey Appleseed. Uh, these, are, these are seeds that I'll plant for you. You know, you think of the opportunities in your life. You think of the, the attitude that you take towards something. You think about being part of a team. A family unit is a team. You know, right. A marriage is a team. Um, yes. your partner, your partner in it is, is a teammate. You know, how do you, how do you react inside of that? We tend to just look at the massive amounts of people involved in the world of sports and say, those are teams, but there's so many others mm -hmm. uh, at the job place, and which really was the inspiration for the book. I mean, 
back in 1982, after we won the championship, I had the opportunity to be able to um, go to a lot of corporate events. Yes. And at yes. all those corporate events, I heard people talking about goals and attitudes and opportunities and teamwork and motivation. I thought, geez, that's the same stuff we do in, in sports. Same that's thing right. we did in football. And so the book is really a business book that takes the relationship between the world of sports, the world of business, and our own lives, and it parallels them. Mm -hmm. And like I say, they're suggestions. Think about, think about the things that are in there, and do they work for you? Maybe they do, yep. maybe they don't. I do believe right. one that should work for everybody is writing down goals. That's right. Take time, write them down. Now, what mm -hmm. do you want personally, professionally, spiritually, and financially? What are you looking for in life? Write them down. It's amazing how I believe the universe controls so much of what we do. And once you bring something out into the universe and it can identify it, it'll help you get where you want to go. Mm -hmm. Visualization, imagery, and yeah, you see it, you know, definitely you see it. Do I got a question it. for you though. Yes. Do you, when, when you, you write music, right? Yes, I do. Yes, sir. Okay. Do you, do you see the notes in your mind? Can you see them in your mind? I, I do. I do sometimes when it's when it's a melody that's really defined, you know, but but then there are other times, though, that I like to explore to see what's what comes out and everything like that to naturally just write and see what happens. So, Great. yeah, absolutely. Wow. No, and, you didn't and, realize you were being interviewed today, did you? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. But that's good. It's a conversation. It's a conversation. <laughs> Well, here with the great Joe Theismann, a former NFL most valuable player, quarterback for the Washington Football Club, and uh, as well as also to one of the great NFL analysts ever. You know, he's worked for years um, breaking down the game of football and also a great motivational speaker for individual businesses here on the 29th episode of Where They At. So, Joe, now it was funny. Alex um, Wojciechowicz, Hall of Famer is an alumni of South, of South River, New Jersey as well. And then your teammate while you were at South River uh, High School, excuse me, was Drew Pearson. So right. now did you and Drew Pearson have like visualization together that you both can be able to make it to the league? And also too, did Alex um, Wojciechowicz, were, were you guys able to, I mean, did you ever speak with him? Did he ever oh. come back to the city to like give, you know, pointers to the youth of uh, South River and everything like that? My mom actually went to high school with Alex, um, but I never, had something? I, never wow. had, I never had a chance to meet him. Um, wow. You know, we share the same birthday, August 12th, I, <laughs> Alex and I. Yeah. Well, happy birthday to you, by uh, the way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, um, he's, he's much older than me, obviously. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> but, I, you know, Drew and, I, Drew and I never talked about Drew was a sophomore when I was a senior. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, when I graduated, Drew became the quarterback there. And, and yeah. I think one of the great travesties of this 2019 year in the world of football yes. is that Drew, who happens to be – the, on the all-decade team. Yes, in the 70s. Not in the Hall of Fame. Right, he's, right. And, and he certainly deserves to be there. I, I root for him all the time. We, we still communicate. It's really funny. I don't know how you are or the people watching this are, but I seem to be able, I seem to reach out and have more contact with my high school friends uh, than I almost did college or pro or any of the leagues and teams I played in. Yes. Um, and it's just it, those relationships that you build in high school. I think they're they're there forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just I root for Drew all the time. He's just a class, great guy and um, a special, special talent. But we we had a lot of fun my senior year in, in, in high school. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. you should. And and, you know, that's what I feel so bad about 
during this pandemic are for the seniors of college, the senior college kids and those in high school. school. Yes. Missing the graduation, missing the walk, missing the tossle toss, missing the hats being thrown, missing the parties, missing the, the chance to celebrate what you work so hard for mm-hmm. so long to get to. I, I really feel for them, but you know, it is it, like the old saying, it is what it is and you have to make the best of it. And I hear people talk all the time. I can't wait till it gets back to normal. There never will be what it was. We will create a new normal now in our lives. Um, many, many people will work from home now. We found, mm-hmm. I, I found in, in doing speeches now, I'm doing virtual meetings. Right. I've done a number of virtual meetings. Uh, a lot of the meetings I had uh, in the previous four or five months have been postponed to 2021. Yep. And I believe by the end of the year, hopefully we'll have some type of a vaccine and, and this thing will have passed on like others before, um, hopefully not taking many lives. Yes. And so we just, you know, I mean, this is a crazy year. I mean, you've got an election coming up, you have mm. the pandemic, you have sports in a modified version. It's yes. so great to see live sports again. Right. I got to tell you, watching the NBA in the bubble is really different. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's really different. And speaking of that, do you think the NFL should follow suit? Because I was going to ask you later on in, in the interview, but I have to ask you now, should the NFL find a way to follow suit? Because they can do something with four bubbles for eight teams each, something like I that. Don't, I don't, you've got so many more people on a football team, especially mm-hmm. now you go through training camp, you're going to have 70, 80 people, maybe 80. I don't know what the number is going to be. Usually mm-hmm. it was 90. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what the number is going to be now. You have basically 63 players that will be under contract. You have 53 on an active roster and in 10 practice squad. Mm-hmm. So you get 63 players, 32 teams. When you start doing the math on the numbers, it almost seems unreasonable to be able to try and stick everybody in a bubble. Mm-hmm. So far, there has not been any type of an outbreak in football. Football has sort of been the beneficiary of what we see in hockey, what we're seeing in basketball, what we're seeing in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, what are they doing from a preventative standpoint to protect the players, to protect the executives, to protect the coaches? And then on the other side of it, how will they be able to implement that in the world of football? So it's, every day is a continuing learning process, not just for the athletics, but for all of us. Right. For every one of us, we're sort of sitting here saying, okay, what's the news going to be today? What's the direction we want to go in today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, because it's interesting because I think, you know, and that's the thing the NFL had all this time to kind of plan, you know, especially with the spikes went up in June and everything. They had time to plan where maybe they can go to um, go, you know, be able to look at cities that can be able to house eight teams that, like you said, have like 63 I, man I, I rosters. Just, you know, I just can't I just can't see putting all those guys in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Sooner or later, you're going to have to run into one another. You know, our, mm-hmm. our, our sport is not one of social distancing. Yeah, right, right, you exactly. Know, really, baseball, you could say you can social distance. Basketball, when you see the way they're set up on the benches, they have six feet between them. Mm-hmm. But when you're on the court and you're guarding someone, you're in their space. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Right. Um, like I say, baseball is probably the one that would be the easiest, if you want to use that term, to be able to social distance with because, I mean, you know, the left fielder, right fielder are pretty far apart. Yeah, Short right. Stop, second baseman, catcher, pitcher. I mean, the umpire is right on top of the catcher. He's not six feet back there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm, 
like I say, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see what and how football handles this based upon the other three major sports. Yeah. Soccer is another one where you sort of have somewhat social distancing. Right. Absolutely. And yeah, I'm sorry. And, and for NFL, I meant like just having to play separate from every from society. That's what I meant. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 So just to make sure they're safe, because like you said, football is so it's so close, like for sure, like the close proximity to tackling the the offensive and defensive lines pretty much breathing on each other, you know, so yeah, absolutely. Wow. So so Joe, you went to University of Notre Dame and it's of course we it's the most historic football program in history as well as to it's a very it's a it's an excellent academic institution as well and you were an academic all-american as well as a football all-american so how are we able to balance that time and really uh be able to be focused in both especially when you were a heisman candidate your senior year when you were a runner-up for the heisman trophy well i um Actually, Notre Dame was not my first choice in schools. I actually signed at North Carolina State University. Oh, okay, yeah. And, and there's a very good reason, because my high school coach was a backup to Roman Gabriel, who was a great quarterback oh, in the yeah. NFL. Rams. So yes. That was a really good reason to go to North Carolina State. So for whatever reason you make decisions to go to college, that was mine. Uh-huh. And then I made a trip out to the University of Notre Dame. And I'll, I'll never forget a gentleman by the name of Rocky Blyer was my host mm-hmm. out there. Rock was a... Um, Pittsburgh Steelers, Steelers yeah, running back. Yes, sir. Unbelievable, an unbelievable human being. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was impressive. And I was, I was 150 pounds when I went to the university at to visit. And I came back, flew into Newark, New Jersey. My dad picked me up. He said, what do you think? I said, I have to go to Notre Dame. And then he said, why? I said, dad, I, the only reason I can give you is it felt right. And, and how many times in our lives have we made decisions and thought them out and they turned out wrong, or we made a decision based on our gut and they turned out right. Yes. I, I think, you know, innately, we inside of us sort of understand what's going on. It may not look right at that time, but, you know, I've trusted my gut a lot. And so I wound up going to the university. I was one of 13 quarterbacks there. I was wow. the skinniest, yeah. you know, other guys became defensive backs, running backs. That was, that's what Notre Dame did at that time. Back in 67, they recruited uh, basically, you recruited great athletes and yep. made them something else, DBs, running backs, tight ends, you mm-hmm. know, wide receivers, whatever. I, I was so skinny, the only thing they could do with me is leave me a quarterback. I mean, I was just a skinny <laughs> little kid. There wasn't anything else they could do. So, uh, And then my sophomore year, Eric Parsegian gave me a chance to, to play the last three games of the season when Terry Hanrady got hurt. So, And then I guess you could say the rest is history. But I wasn't a good student in high school, and I really mm-hmm. applied myself in college. I went out on two dates when I was at the university. Wow. Went out on two dates my first two years. Uh-huh. Um, same girl, oddly uh-huh. enough. And, uh, <laughs> and that was, I mean, I was, I was either in the study hall, I was on a football field, or I was in a pool room shooting pool. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but I really had to get my academics to a point where I could stay eligible to play. They required the student athletes to ha- have a higher GPA. Than other and just stay in school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the mm-hmm. standard was a little higher, and I really wanted to do that. I want it was important to me. I think that that's the whole thing about you know part of the book, and I think the things that I talk to people about is you have to decide what's important to you. Yes. Don't let any don't let anybody tell you you can or cannot do something, but you have to decide what's important to you, and then you have to go after it with everything you have. 
And mm -hmm. I just, in my freshman year, I went back to my room after a practice one day and I wrote down on a piece of paper, I said, I will be the greatest quarterback ever to play at Notre Dame. Now, if somebody looked at me and saw that, they would say I was certifiably nuts. <laughs> the, fact, the fact of the matter is, and whether I was or was not is insignificant to the fact that oh, that's what I believed. You're up there. You're up there, sir. <laughs> you, just have to you have to believe that you can mm -hmm. do something. Yes. You know, like, be like Marty talked about, you know, think about it, talk about it, expect it to happen. And a lot of times it can't. Yes, no question about that, and 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 that's what ha and that's what happened with you being one of the most celebrated individuals and one of the great quarterbacks in the history of Notre Dame, and and here with the great Joe Theismann on the 29th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabate Owls. Make sure to read Joe's wonderful book, motivational book called How to Be a Champion Every Day: Six Timeless Keys to Success, which he released in in June recently. So now it's so f it's interesting. You were drafted by the Miami Dolphins. Uh, in the fourth round, it, but but you didn't end up playing with them. Do you wonder to yourself, wow, I could have been part of the only undefeated team in the history of the NFL. I could have been, I could have been starting for that team possibly. <laughs> I know. I really, you know, it was funny when I was in Canada. The three years I spent in the Canadian it's League, the and CFL. I loved Toronto. I loved the Argonauts. I loved the CFL. I loved everything about it. I I didn't want to leave. Mm -hmm. um, our general manager just didn't want me around, so he didn't make me an offer to keep me. So I, I wound up, uh, George Allen traded a number one pick to the Miami Dolphins for my rights. Yeah, but I wow. thought of the three years, 71, 72, and 73, when the Dolphins were at the, in the Super Bowl and, of course, had the undefeated season. That's right. When I didn't join the Miami Dolphins in 1971, Don Shula went out and got Earl Morrill. And what a lot of that, people don't that, realize, mm -hmm. I think Earl quarterbacked seven of the games, seven or nine of the games in the yeah. 72 season. Yeah. So, uh, they, you know, there it is right there. Hey, you know, but, uh, you know, we got close in 1983, we were 16 and two lost two games that year by, by one point. So, mm -hmm. and we got close, although we didn't, I didn't play well in the Super Bowl in particular, but we lost that one. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was, it's unbelievable. It's hard. I mean, you, you think of the new England Patriots going what? Yeah, 18-0, 18-0, right. And, and all of a sudden they lose in the Super Bowl and nobody talks about it. That's right. And that's, that's the interesting thing is what's the significance of a Super Bowl? Um, it defines you in so many different ways. It defines your team in so many different ways. If, as great as that New England Patriot team was, yeah. they lost to the Giants. And they were two minutes away from when they that were like two to three minutes away from winning from being and 19 were, and 0. And there were great <laughs> catches in the two games they lost that yes. against them. I mean, and then you look at then you look at the Atlanta game and you look at the catch that Julian Edelman makes mm -hmm. that gives them an opportunity to win. I mean, you really are one play away. And that's why everyone is so significant. It's like if you had a play in the first quarter and say, Oh, we've got three more quarters, no. No, it, that particular play has great significance. That's right. That's right. And everyone always goes to the end instead of looking at the entire scope of the game, like you just mentioned. Right. right. right.
Absolutely. Wow. And, and Joe, now it's interesting. Speaking of the Super Bowl, 1982, winning the Super Bowl and making a big play on, uh, on Kim Bonecamper, which was like, that was huge. You know, like they ended up getting a turnover and then you stripped the ball from him, which helped your team win. Now talk about quarterbacks are defined by the Super Bowl, just like you mentioned. How, how deep is that? How, like, say, for example, if you didn't make that play and you ended up losing and not winning the Super Bowl, title like how the difference it's like it's amazing like why why is it that great quarterbacks are looked at Super Bowl wins a la like Tom Brady Peyton Manning I think I think anytime you're involved in any endeavor you want to be the best that you you want to be the best you'd like to be looked upon about the uh, as the best in the world of athletics there are games that decide whether you're the best or not mm-hmm. and I won't get in I won't get into the baseball situation uh, with the Astros and Dodgers oh, last year, but right. that, that's another story for another mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But for us in the world of, of football, um, the best way I can describe the difference is when I was in broadcasting, we were doing a San Diego Charger Denver Bronco game in San Diego. At that mm-hmm. time, they were the San Diego Chargers. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I was interviewing John Elway, and the Super Bowl was going to be in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And John had already been, I think, to two Super Bowls. And I said, John, are you okay not winning the Super Bowl? You've been there twice and you haven't had a chance to, to put the ring on. Are you okay with it? And he said, you know, Joe, I am. City of Denver is a great place. They've been wonderful to me. It's a great organization. And mm-hmm. I've been very blessed to have a, a, a lot of success as a part of this team. And then I saw him at the ESPYs in February after our conversation in November. Mm-hmm. And he won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I asked him, I said, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you in November. It, how important is it for you to win the Super Bowl? He says, my God, I can't imagine what it would have been like not winning it. Yes. And, right. and for me, see, the, uh, I had a similar situation. Uh, we went to the, a lot of us from Miami and Washington went to the Pro Bowl uh, in 1983, after the Super Bowl win. That's right, because the Pro Bowl was after the Super Bowl. At it that was time. in Hawaii. Right, and right. I remember a Thursday afternoon sitting on a beach under a palm tree, uh, having a pina colada with, uh, with uh, Bob Baumauer, their nose tackle. <laughs> yeah. We were sitting there, and, and I, I, I had a question I was going to ask him. I hope he wasn't going to hit me. So I, I sat there. I said, Bob, tell me, what's it like to lose the Super Bowl? He said, Joe, I can just tell you that you wish to heaven you never got there. It's so devastating. It's so crushing. You work so hard, and there's so few opportunities to be able to do it. I said, wow, I hope I never experienced that. A year later, I did, and he's right. Mm. I mean, when you think of of the Super Bowl, you think of the Kansas City Chiefs, the world champions. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're the San Francisco 49ers, the Arizona Cardinals, the Giants, the Washington football team. It doesn't matter who you are. You're one of 31 teams that didn't win. Did not make it. Mm-hmm. And, did and not get that title. That's it. The, the prize is what it's all about. So uh, I was very blessed to be on a great football team with a tremendous coach. Joe Gibbs was an incredible coach. And, and his staff was unbelievable. And one of the things you know we talk about in the book is leadership. Mm-hmm. I think one of the great qualities of a leader is who you surround yourself with. And then mm-hmm. give, that, give those people the opportunity to be able to do what you ask them to do delegate. their way. Delegate, yeah, yes. Yeah, just don't tell them how to, don't, don't lay this plan down and say, okay, I hired you, do it this way. Give them a chance to be able to do it. That's what Joe did with us as players. 
I used to de I used to define our group in 1982 as characters with character. We were, I mean, it was just a bunch of guys having fun. We used to play volleyball Saturday over the goalposts. <laughs> I mean, if it was a rainy day, there'd be about eight or ten of us out sliding in the mud. I mean, we're yes. a bunch of kids. Yes. And, we, and, and then we went to the Super Bowl. We didn't know how big it was. It's mm -hmm. certainly not as big as it was today or is today back then, but it was a big deal. Yeah. And uh, it was like, hey, this, it's a football game. Let's go play football. And wow. uh, coach, coach nailed it. He said, look, if we can stay close in this game, they're a great team, great defense. Mm -hmm. If we can stay close, I think we can wear them down because we're much bigger up front. And by golly, that's exactly what happened. And you that's got when John broke the big run. And you got John Riggins, right? Yes, indeed. Exactly. Yep. You know, no, no doubt. Just, just pound them and in the trenches for sure, you know. And, uh, and it was funny when, when you say you talked to Bob Bumgarner, like um, – it turned out they went back to the Super Bowl two years later and lost because I, I had um, uh, Dwight Stevenson on the 19th edition of Where They At, and he talked about how tough it was to go back and lose again, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's deep how well, that one game, about, you know. What's interesting about that, I actually broadcast that game. That's so right, you of, did. And you were still playing. People, yeah. A lot of people don't realize that there's only two players, that active players that have broadcast championships. Um, while they were active, Jack Kemp was one, and, and I happened to be fortunate enough to be the other. I yes. worked with Frank Gifford and Don Meredith. That's right, ABC. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Super, Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 19. Yes, yes, indeed. And that was against the 49ers out in Palo Alto, California. Wow. And, and, and it, was, it really, I was 35 years old, and it sort of introduced me to the world of broadcasting. broadcasting. And that was what I wanted to do. I, I made up my mind at that point that that's what I wanted to do when I was finished, not knowing exactly how soon I was going to be finished. And I will say this, be careful what you ask for, because in training camp in 1985, and now remember, if you're 35 years old back in the 80s, you were considered old and toward really right at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. Today, it's a it's a five, four-year contract for $30 million. That's right, because medicine, because medical advances, technological yeah. advances. And, mm -hmm. and it's just the, the, mental, the, the mental approach that coaches take in the game today. Mm -hmm. But I'll never forget a reporter coming up to me and saying, Joe, how, how long do you want to play? And I made this statement. I said, I want to play until they carry me off the field. And um, wow. they did. Wow. Wow. And, and, and so, wow. I didn't realize, again, you know, I'm, I don't fashion myself as a prophet, but uh, I've said a few things in time. Uh, like, for example, when I left the locker room the night I got hurt, you know, I, I said, tonight your life's going to change, Joe. That's and, right. Uh, it sure did. So I, I, I tell people all the time, be careful what you ask for. Wow. And speaking of that, that fateful night, Monday Night Football, November 18th, 1985, it's interesting how you reflect and you said you never, you never, you never blame Lawrence Taylor. You know, he was doing his job. And, and how deep was that? Because you could have built up a lot of resentment with the situation. And talk about, too, after the couple years after that you went through of just the battle, the mental battle of not having football in your life anymore. When, when football really defines you, as it did me in my mind, that it defined me. And uh, all of a sudden, it was gone. I mean, LT's the greatest outside linebacker that's ever played the game. It's funny, you hear people compare like Michael Jordan, uh, mm -hmm. Tiger Woods, 
you know, I think Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus are always going to be tied together because of the mm-hmm. amount of championships they've won and the amount of tournaments they've won. And, 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 you know, Tiger has done things that are just phenomenal. And who will be the next, who will be the next Lawrence Taylor? Who will be the next Tiger Woods? Who will be, mm-hmm. you know, the next great pitcher that who might, those are individuals are defined and should be defined alone. And that's, that's before I get to the answering your question, mm-hmm. what we need to do when we talk about the greatest of anything, Tom Brady being one, mm-hmm. um, we need to figure out, I, I use, I use 20 year increments, like from 2020 to 2000, who mm-hmm. is the greatest, who are the greatest players in that era from two, uh, from 2000 to 1980 from 1980 to 1960, Mm -hmm. because the rules have changed so much. The athlete has changed so much. The technology has changed so much that it's really unfair to say in the course of an entire entity, football, Mm -hmm. this person is the greatest. Uh, To throw for 4,000 yards today, if you don't throw for 4,000, you're really not doing much of a job. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, back, back in the 80s, when you, if you got to 3,000, it was monumental. 3,500 right. was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the way I think you have to look at it. But when it came to Lawrence, you know, I mean, um, it was an unbelievable, it was an eerie night uh, at RFK when, uh, when my leg was broken. And, and people are so nice. I mean, it's been viewed by over 10, 15, 20 million people on YouTube. Yeah. And People have come up and said, oh, Joe, we're so sorry you broke your leg. And I appreciate that, but I didn't break my leg. Lawrence Taylor broke my leg. I try and qualify that all the time with people. Let them know LT did it, not me. But we, we're friends. We see each other at, at uh, autograph sessions. We played golf together at times. And um, it, was, it was hard. It was hard getting on a schedule. I mean, look at it, It's exactly sort of what we're going through now with this pandemic. You yep. need to find discipline in your life. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever that discipline schedule is, you need to find it. Before we were just doing things. We just got, it was rope. I was getting up, going to work. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. All right. of a sudden, now you have to stop and think, what am I going to do? It was the same thing for me when I got hurt. I had to mm-hmm. create a whole new set of disciplines because when I was a football player, I was at a meeting at 730 in the morning, five days a week, six days a week, mm-hmm. uh, practice, meeting, practice, lunch, practice, study, film, go home. Yep. For 15 years as a professional, I did that. Then all of a sudden it was over. Now I didn't have to be someplace. I had to create my own schedule. I had to create my own disciplines. And that was the hardest thing for me. And Mm -hmm. and reconciling with the fact that I was a football player and I wasn't anymore. The harsh reality hits you when um, I walked back in, I think about three weeks after my leg was broken. Uh, Steve Bartkowski was sitting in my locker. Uh, Art sitting in my locker and uh, everything that was in my locker for 12 years as, as a Washington football player mm-hmm. was now in a box in the equipment room waiting for me to pick it up. Yeah. It, it was, yeah. I, think, I think John wow. Matt, I think, best described this as you're a, you're a spark plug in an engine. If the spark plug gets worn out or something's wrong with it, they take the spark plug out and they plug in another one. Yeah. And that's, that's the nature of the business. You have to. I mean, it goes on. You think that it, it can't, they can't be successful without me. They can't enjoy this success without me. Well, I'll tell you what, they can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Any, 
And it's and even Michael Jordan dealt with that with the Bulls when the Bulls broke up broke up exactly. that dynasty. You know, it's it's really deep. Wow. And uh, now now Joe, um, speaking of the quarterback position, it's very interesting that you said that about four thousand yard passers are, you know, a dime a dozen now basically. But back in the eighties, that was like an accomplishment. Marino having five thousand eighty four. That's that was like the standard like that he set that was way ahead of his time. What do you think of the passing game now? Uh, with the fact of short passes often replacing running plays, things like that. Like there are a lot, like what is your take on how the passing game has become a little saturated now? I think one of the most important things in life in sports is evolution. Mm -hmm. Uh, We saw like, for example, you used to see the big corners because they wanted to play cover too. And they went to the little corners who could cover man, man to man. And so you, you get that, you get that, movement in in the offensive side of the game i think it's exciting it's fun the uh, shotgun now is is the primary part of the offense when it comes to throwing the football mm-hmm. the defensive players have gotten so quick so big so fast that you need to get the ball out of your hands as quickly as possible mm-hmm. you're not gonna you're not gonna block up these guys for three and a half seconds to give somebody a chance to get down the field Right. You've got it. You have to get the ball out of your hands quickly. And I think so a little bit of what the defense has been able to do has dictated to a degree of what the offense is required to do. Mm-hmm. So when you uh, when you break down the game uh, and look at it, I think, you know, you do whatever you have to. I mean, if you can line up and knock people off the ball, if you're a big offensive line, you go back a couple of years ago when when Zeke first joined the Dallas Cowboys. That was it. That was the best offensive line in football. Mm-hmm. Let's give the kid the ball and let mm-hmm. him let him go pound it away. Right. Uh, now everybody, everybody's gone basically to a gun. And it's you're limited in what you can do running the football when the quarterback is not under center. Wow. And uh yeah, that's interesting. And and it's a shame Travis Frederick retired like he was in his prime, basically. You know, that's that's a shame about and and, and speaking of uh well, actually about the quarterback position. Uh, the Washington football team, you have a gentleman, Alex Smith, who eerily 33 years later to the day on November 18th experienced the same injury with the broken fibula, broken tibula. Um, and he's about to make, he's, he's healthy to play now. How proud of him are you that, that he was able to really show that, that intestinal fortitude to come back? And do you think he has a chance to, to still play, even if it's not for Washington, play for another team? I'm just, I am so thrilled for Alex because he did something I could not. And he went through a lot more trials and tribulations than I did. My, mm-hmm. my leg was broken. It was never rotted. It healed a little crooked. I have what's what's called an 11-degree varus on the oh. inside of my leg, which means I, I walk on the outside. The leg wow. healed about a half inch shorter. And so wow. I have knee and back issues. But those are minor compared to what Alex went through with all the surgeries that he had, 17 different surgeries. Yeah. He was within 24 hours of losing his leg. Mm-hmm. Um, but when when he set his mind to want to come back, First of all, I thought it was a great approach from an attitude standpoint for, because whether he played football or not, he would be able to do things with his family and his children and in his life uh, again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that was, that was exciting for me. And then here was a guy when he did train, when, before he got hurt, he used to walk underwater with rocks uh, to work on his strength and his endurance. Mm. And anybody, he, he was Aquaman. So... <laughs> Why, why wouldn't he be able to do it? 
And then when the doctors cleared him to be able to play again, I was so excited for him. We, we text back and forth and we have conver we've conversed over the last couple of years and I am so thrilled and excited for him to have this opportunity to be able to go out and compete for a job. I mean, mm -hmm. Dwayne's a heck of a young football player. Kyle was in the system down in Carolina and now Alex enters into the mix. Mm -hmm. And um, without, without a preseason game, I think it's gonna be difficult for right, Coach right. Rivera to evaluate all three of them. I mean, how do you how do you evaluate guys when there's nobody flying around their feet? When they're you you're limited in what you can do from a hitting standpoint. That's why when they talked about eliminating the preseason, I've never been a big fan of that because we've had I think the last three or four years in the last preseason games, we've had different players make the football team. Um, uh, mm -hmm. And, and whether they're kick returners, whether they're special teamers, whether That's they're right. wide receivers, whatever it might be, that one individual made the football team in that last game. Yes. Now you now it's very difficult to evaluate. I think that's going to be the hardest thing for coaches yeah. is who makes the football team. It's going to be hard on the free agents. Uh, it's going to be hard on the rookies. Mm -hmm. You haven't been, you didn't have OTAs. You didn't have a mini camp. Everything you've done has been on Zoom. Now all of a sudden you're gonna get, now you're gonna this week get into installations, and the season starts in five weeks. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at the first three regular season football games as basically glorified preseason games where guys are gonna work on their conditioning, mm -hmm. uh, and then the other the other side of it is who's gonna be available to you? Will the will the virus will the COVID virus hit a particular position? Let's say you've got seven wide receivers and three of them come down. They're yeah. gone for two weeks. The other four are tested, but where do you find, how do you adjust? That, that's another element that the coaches are going to have to deal with in season mm -hmm. uh, once it gets started. Baseball, hockey, and basketball will be a great template for, for us in the world of football to get an idea of what's going to happen and what we might, what we might see in the future. That's right. And I, I see, unfortunately, with the O-line and D-line having a lot of that because there's no social distancing. So close. Yeah, that's right. That's and it's right. Like the same thing as a huddle. I mean, you're not going to have guys six feet apart in a huddle. Oh, yeah, because the other team will hear. He's <laughs> <laughs> right there. <laughs> right, you know? right. Defense, you can sort of stay away from one another. Offensively, you're going to be around one another. Wow, that's true. And, 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 and Joe, Dwayne Haskins, should Washington go all in on him? I mean, he was the 15th pick overall. I mean, and, and, and he showed some progress last year, but there's criticism about him. Like, should Washington really give him an opportunity to show that, that he can be a, a starting NFL quarterback? I don't, I don't think there's criticism of Dwayne as much as uncertainty. Uh, he, you know, he played seven games only. The first couple, he, he, you know, he was a, a deer in headlights. Exactly. Any young right. guy goes walking in, you have no idea. And then he got better. What I, would, what I liked so much is he got better and better and better. And football matters to him. Mm -hmm. But with a new coach, there's always going to be competition at every position. I know in 1982, I quarterbacked a football team to a world championship. Mm -hmm. 1983, they drafted a quarterback in the second round. Mm. And it's like, whoa. And so it's the same thing at the running back position. Jay, Jay Schrader. Was it Schrader? Jay Schrader? No, they drafted Tom Flick out of the University oh, of Washington. Okay. Mm -hmm. But Jay wound up being the quarterback after I got hurt. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And so 
I think in Dwayne's case, Dwayne has fundamentally got all the tools to be able to play this game. Now it's going to be a question of, and again, I say it's, it's the difficult part for Scott Turner, the offensive coordinator, and Kenny Zampezi, who's the quarterback coach, and Ron Rivera. How do you give each of those guys enough work so that you can fairly evaluate them? And that's why every throw, every snap, every handoff is so much more important in this year for those guys and a lot of other young guys, for Tua down in Miami, uh, for Herbert where he is. I mean, all the all, how, how, do you, how do you evaluate? I mean, yeah. that, that's one of the toughest things that the coaches are going to face. I like everything about Dwayne, except that he just hasn't played a lot of football for someone to say he can or cannot. I still think, I still think the, you know, that you just don't know. Uh, it's the same thing with Kyle Allen. He, mm -hmm. he played 12 games. You just don't know. It's the same thing with Alex. You just don't know what's going to happen. Can he take a hit? You know, will he be able to hold up? I, I think there are many, as many questions at the quarterback position in Washington as there is any position in football. Wow. And, uh, and, and it goes back to your book. It goes back to your book when you talk about opportunity, attitude, you know, teamwork, things like that, because those are the other things as well. How someone is, how someone acts, how someone conducts themselves, how their work ethic is in the film room. Like, are they learning things quickly? Those sure. could be factors, too. Absolutely. Well, here with the great Joe Theismann on, on the 29th edition where they add former NFL MVP, great NFL analyst and also author of his latest book, a great motivational book called How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six Timeless Keys to Success. So um, now, now, Joe, the Washington football team, they are going through a name change now for years, for decades, people have protested against that name and everything. They finally do it. What is your take on, on them finally making the change, but also the circumstances that made that change? Because they did it so quickly, but for years people were protesting against it. Well, for, for whatever reason, the change is being made. I like the fact that they're taking their time. Uh, thinking about what the new name will be going forward. Right now, it's the Washington football team, mm -hmm. which, uh, which, and they said it could take anywhere between 12 to 18 months to really come up with uh, a name that, that they want. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's like, in, you know, we're, we're looking at society. I mean, there's lots of changes that need to happen. I think one of the things that, if you look at, I think July 3rd, it was announced that they were going to review the name, look at it. I think July 21st is when they announced that there would be a new name. It took basically two and a half, three weeks for them to take action to do something. And, and I, I hope it's a lesson in society is that we just can't talk about doing something. There needs to be some kind of positive action moving forward yes. in the different areas that there are protests in. There's social injustice that needs mm -hmm. to be done, but something needs to be done. We need to, as a society, we need to see something done. We can't mm -hmm. just talk about it. We need to see it. And with the Washington football team, there was a change being that had to be made and they made the change. Mm -hmm. um, if we can do it in sports, then I would, I would hope that we can do it in society as well. 
No, that's that's very crucial. Right about that. And 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 with the organization, it's struggled over the past two decades that Daniel Schneider has owned it. They only five playoff appearances the last twenty seven seasons, I believe. So uh, overall, thirty seven different starting quarterbacks. Oh yes, right. And this is something. See, people and, don't talk about. You have to have stability. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you think of you think of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers up in Green Bay, Oh, <laughs> Montana, Steve Young in right. San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, and then Tom know, Brady for the twenty years. Tom Brady for mm-hmm. twenty years. You I, that position has to have stability, um, and you know when when Joe Gibbs coached the football team, you know he, he had yeah. three of us: Doug, Rip, and myself. Mm-hmm. The offense was the same. The players sort of transitioned from one to the next. And the offense has evolved. I never ran. I, ran, I played two games in my life, actually one game in my, two games in my life out of a shotgun. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe didn't like it. And, and all of a sudden in his, when he came back to coach, uh, Rip was in the gun and I asked him, I said, why? You wouldn't let me do it. Why wouldn't you let me do it? And he said, Joe, times have changed, and you have to change with the times. Yeah, and so uh, That's why so, he was so great. That's, that's, <laughs> you know, that was what it was. He had a great ability to adapt and evolve. Like I said, a big word, I think, for all of us to think about is, number one is respect one another. Number, well, there's a number of words. Respect, evolution is an important mm-hmm. one, and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Seize the opportunity, be willing to evolve, and, and respect each other for who we are, our beliefs, and what we do. Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes? So there's there's that debate. Like like who like who who's who's the best? Because the players voted that Lamar Jackson is the best player in the NFL. They voted Patrick Mahomes fourth. Lamar being the reigning MVP, of course, Patrick Mahomes winning the Super Bowl. Like who who's who's the man in your opinion but right now? They they bring two different skill sets. Uh, Lamar, mm-hmm. um, you know, when Robert Griffin the third, for example, in Washington was the Rookie of the Year. He rushed for almost 900 yards. Lamar is that kind of a, of a quarterback. He mm-hmm. can hurt you with his legs as much as his arm. And I thought he improved tremendously throwing the football yes. uh, this past year. That Patrick, you talked about in your book. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Pat, Patrick is just – Patrick's one of these – they're both fun to watch. They're both young kids fun to watch. Uh, it depends – and I've said this many times. The quarterback position is the single most dependent position on the field. Mm-hmm. And uh, Patrick, uh, you know, you look at the playoff run they made last year, every game, including the Super Bowl, they were behind. And it was his exemplary play that brought them there. Uh, the Ravens were an unbelievable football team. Yep. And, uh, and a lot of it had to do with Lamar's ability to be able to, to run the football as well as throw the football. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it all depends on your flavor, like flavor, really. Uh, Andy Reid loves to throw the football. And uh, I think what they did in Washington, in, uh, in Baltimore, was take advantage of what um, Lamar can do. A little bit of what we saw down in Carolina when Cam was younger. Mm-hmm. You know, let, him, let, let the runner run. Don't, yeah. don't, don't restrict him from being able to run with the football. Mm-hmm. Just let him go do what he needs to do uh, and go from there. So, I, and geez, to choose between the two of them, boy, I, I, let me put it this way. I'd take either one of them. <laughs> exactly right right and i'm glad you said it like that you know because so because there are people that are staunch lamar there are people that are staunch patrick but you really you see the that both of them are so valuable for their teams for sure and uh and and marshall yanda losing him is going to be it's going to be big for um 
for the Ravens for sure. Um, but now Cam Newton, that, that playbook's going to be extended beautifully, isn't it? <laughs> In New England I, with him. I think so. I, you know, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see what New England wants to do. Um, you know, Cam has been hurt the last couple of years. and You certainly don't want to put him at risk. I think it's a great place for him. It's a great organization. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, I use that word. It's a tremendous opportunity for him to sort of, you know, stay healthy, get going again, and, and be the Cam that we saw, you know, light it up, uh, both with his legs and his arm. And, and you, I hope he doesn't expose himself um, running the football as much because that's, right. that's sort of how he wound up getting beat up. Mm-hmm. So now we'll have an opportunity, I think, in this system to be able to get the ball out of his hands and protect himself a bit more. Joe, before you go, I want to do a segment called No Huddle. Bunch of quick random questions that have you like uh, answer real quickly about your about your illustrious career and your great life. So so here we go. Your go to play during your playing career. Uh, it was uh, counter Trey when uh, in our offense, it was uh, the guard and tackle from one side pulled and led John Riggins the other way. Counter Trey was our go-to play. Oh, all right. Wow. Now the quarterback you were motivated, most motivated to compete against. I'd say Roger Staubach uh, uh, in yeah. Dallas. You know, Roger, Roger ran like I did and, and you know, was just a, a fabulous Hall of Famer. And we're friends and I respect him so much, but he was the one that I loved to compete against. Roger the Dodger. Yes, indeed. <laughs> now, most underrated player during your career, the player that that people have forgotten about. I, I think that even though he's in the Hall of Fame, I think Art Monk was was underrated by his importance to us and his ability. He was a converted running back out of Syracuse who became a Hall of Fame wide receiver. And I think, you know, we used to call him big money uh, because wow. whenever you needed something good to happen, Art could do it. Wow. And I think he was the one that was really underrated. No doubt. And also he's related to the great Thelonious Monk, great jazz musician. So <laughs> definitely. So now Tom Brady or Peyton Manning? Tom Brady. Okay. I mean, Tom has had, um, first of all, he's got four more championships. Uh, and secondly, it, under Tom, the team constantly changed. Uh, he, he didn't have the same set of people around him all the time. So it constantly changed. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, um, it, it, it just it had to be him that made the difference. So that's why I go with Tom. Wow. But Peyton went to the Super Bowl with four different coaches. I know. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. no, I listen, let me tell you, it's, again, it's, it's not an easy decision, but um, I'm going to stick with the GOAT. Wow. Now, the quarterback you were surprised that didn't fulfill his potential, that word you used a lot in your book. I, you know there's a lot of circumstances. I, I wouldn't pick one individual. I would mm-hmm. say that there are a lot of circumstances that have surrounded different quarterbacks that have not allowed them to be able to achieve what they had hoped they could achieve and what the team they have um, wanted them to. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, you know, one person versus another. Mm, okay. Most bizarre teammates. <laughs> or eccentric. Every, every one on the Washington football team (laughs) we're we're all nuts (laughs) (laughs) okay but anyone more nuts than the other (laughs) or or, or just someone that has idiosyncrasies it was was just a bunch of characters with character i mean we had i had two five foot nine inch wide receivers alvin garrett and virgil say who were just terrific of course john john riggins is legendary for um a lot of the things that john has done and did and so 
you know, I mean, uh, it was just a great bunch of characters. Well, what's in your current music playlist right now? I'm a country guy. I yeah, Tim country. McGraw, right? Tim McGraw, you love. Well, <laughs> Luke Bryan, uh, Carrie Underwood, I think is just fabulous. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I, I'm, I, I was going to send a tweet out, but I'll say it on your on, on this show with you. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see Luke Bryan and Carrie Underwood do a duet together. Ooh. I think it, two, two fabulous voices, distinctively different, I think would be spectacular when it came to putting some, and you being a music guy, mm -hmm. I think, you know, to put those two voices together, uh, but I'm a big country guy. Wow, you should produce it, you know, produce the project. You can make it happen. <laughs> it something to do during this time. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> the film you never get tired of watching. Uh, we Were Soldiers. Aha, okay. okay. I'm, yes. I'm, also a, I'm also a big supporter of our military and the men and women mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. that have sacrificed so much. As a matter of fact, that's who the book's dedicated to. Mm -hmm. uh, it's dedicated yes. to men and women have sacrificed so much for us in this country. And, and uh, we ought to, anytime, anytime you see somebody in a uniform, just say, thank you. Wow. I think it's, I yes. think it's, it's never heard enough and it's never said enough um, mm -hmm. when it comes to the men and women that, that protect us. No doubt. And the one last question to no huddle segment, the one person dead or alive, you would want to sit down and break bread with. Uh, Mother Teresa, mm -hmm. I, um, I, I, she did so much good for so many people and sacrificed, you know, her entire life was dedicated to helping others. Yes. And uh, I would love to, I would love to sit and visit and, um, and spend time with to, to really understand, you know, why she did what she did, how she did what she did. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, her life has been documented, but that's about all we really know. I'd like to know more. Wow, that's deep. And, and uh, wow, and I got to say before I let you go, Joe, uh, Joe Theismann's restaurant, Alexandria, Virginia. I remember going there a few years ago, like when uh, I, I, it, the food was unbelievable. It was right near my hotel where I was staying at. I, I, I give it a lot of credit. And how's that business going? Like, you know, of course, with the pandemic and no indoor dining. We're like everybody else. Um, we're uh, we're we're about to launch a uh, a fund. Basically, a, a, we're going to uh, feed um, some of the people in the in the Alexandria area. It's going to be a it's going to be Joe, called Joe Cares. And uh, what mm -hmm. we want to do is we want to make sure that the hungry don't go hungry, and yes. uh, we're going to do everything we can yes. to help them. And so the restaurant has been it's open now, uh, just like everybody else in the restaurant business. Um, we've gone through our struggles and trials and tribulations, but. Hopefully everybody will follow the, the guidelines that are out there uh, and we'll eventually be able to open up to full capacity at some point. Wow. And uh, Notre Dame, um, I wanted to ask you just one quick thing. It's going to be tough, but you can include yourself if you like. Mount Rushmore of Notre Dame greats. <laughs> <laughs> Newt Rockney, Era Parsigian. Mm. Uh, was was my coach. Um, yes. Now, uh, Father Theodore Hesburgh, who was the head of the university, who did so many wonderful mm. things, uh, mm -hmm. would be another one. Mm -hmm. And then uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Lou Holtz. Ah, yes, they indeed. Would, I mean, <laughs> the problem is, is you'd, you'd need more than just one mountain uh, to be able to put up of all those faces. But those That's are the right. ones. 
Those are the four I choose. Joe, I appreciate you for for um, being on Where They At, the 29th edition. And everybody, please pick up Joe's book, his new book, which is really, it's, it's powerful and it's really motivational. It's called How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six Timeless Keys to Success. Make sure you order it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera, et cetera. And, and Joe, I appreciate the time and thank you for the honor to uh, speak with you today on Where They At. I appreciate you. Great being with you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening to the 29th edition of Where They At with the great Joe Theismann. Such an honor to have him on the show. And he's somebody that is not just great on the field, but great off the field with the message that he conveys to be able to help inspire people. And that's so important. And remember to pick up his book, How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six Timeless Keys to Success. That's his uh, book that really um, accentuates ways and values for you to become your better self. So glad that I was able to talk with uh, Joe Theismann. Such insight and uh, such graciousness for sure. So remember to listen to other episodes of Where They At. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Make sure you subscribe and or follow to listen to past episodes and of course listen to future episodes. 29 episodes overall interviewing uh, just extremely inspirational people, people that have that have exhibited excellence in all walks of life and just great to talk with those people. So you can be able to listen to those interviews and hear the great insight and the great wisdom and knowledge from these individuals for sure rate the show as well that really helps me out uh and and i just thank you all for your support in general and if you like the music that you're listening to you can go to my website which is n-a-b-a-t-e-i-s-l-e-s.com that's nabateisles.com to listen to the album my album eclectic excursions so you could be able to hear tracks that i've played throughout the show and on social media and check me out on instagram w-h-e dot r-e-t-h-e-y-a-t so that's where they at with the dot in between the e and r on instagram and on twitter it's w-h-e underscore r-e-t-h-e-y-a-t that is uh where they at with the underscore in between the e and the r in the word where and also on on facebook too it's where they at podcast check me out on facebook also you can check out the show on contropolis radio network the show streams every monday night at 8 p.m but also you can listen to past episodes whenever you have the chance to so thank you all for listening to where they at i'm the bate isles be safe be well be blessed and please be empathetic towards the causes and towards the protests and towards the speaking out and towards the social activism that is going on because black lives do matter. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.